You know, it's been a blessing my entire life to be raised in the church, and I know not everybody can say that. And I think, if I understand correctly, you you know, you're not able to say that really either. Right. And that's that's always a different perspective when you have two different people who have grown up worshiping the Lord and maybe have grown up doing other things in worship. As we talk about worship in today's society, we have a really big problem because there are so many different views on what worship is. So what would you do if someone asks you, what is worship? Uh, worship, if you define it from the very basis, uh, basic idea of worship, it's to kiss the hand toward, mm-hmm. uh, to, to pay respect and homage and adoration, to give adoration unto deity, to give it to Jehovah, obviously, is what we're talking about. I go back and I think about how man was made, man was created. Man was created evidently with a heart to worship, uh, with a desire to worship. That's not always been uh, brought out the right way, where man has not always worshipped the way they're supposed to, and we see that in our society even today. But going back even uh, early on, we we find Cain and Abel, and we find that, that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Uh, their worship, Cain and Abel's worship unto God. One was one was pleasing to God. One was not pleasing to God. And we find out one was offered by faith. And so even that worship way back then was dictated or commanded by God. And that's why we know that by faith because faith comes by the Word of God. And so that that was laid out. This is what I want. And so when it wasn't offered in that way, one was pleasing, one was not. And so, and, and we go back and we think about, then that implies that there is a right way and a wrong way to worship. But the very basic idea is to, to, to pay homage to, to, to literally to kiss toward. Um, and, and one illustrated it this way, it's, it's as if a, uh, like, a, like a dog's kissing the hand of his master yeah, in that way. That's how it's illustrated in Strong's. You know, when you think about um, the, the fact that there's a right way and a wrong way to, to worship, um, we come to passages like John chapter 4 where Jesus is teaching the, the woman at the well uh, in Samaria. And, he, and he's talking about God is seeking true worshipers who will worship him. Uh, God is wanting that. Man was made with a desire to worship, and God is seeking that uh, for true worshipers. And that again implies that there is a false type of worship or a wrong type of worship where there's a true type of worship, and God is seeking a true worshiper who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so He's dictated it once again, that He's commanded, this is how I want my worship. This is how I want you to pay homage or adoration. This is how you show your adoration unto me. And so we begin to think about, well, then what has God laid out for us, uh, particularly in the New Testament? We don't worship according to the Old Testament. We are under the New Testament law, and and we basically find five acts of worship in ways that we can show our adoration or pay our respect, uh, pay our homage, if you will, unto God in that way. And we do so by singing, by praying, by giving, uh, by the preaching and teaching of the gospel as well, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And those, those five acts are, are outlined for us uh, in Scripture, in the New Testament Scriptures. And what we find is each one of those engages the heart of man in a way where we can, we can show our respect unto God.
God, whether it's listening to a sermon or whether it's partaking of the Lord's Supper and going back to that to the cross where Jesus, you know, gave his offered his body as that sacrifice and shed his blood for the remission of our sins and and so we we take that memorial on a weekly basis uh, and, and we have Acts 20 that reminds us of, of just that when it comes to our singing that's a that's a uh, a way that we can engage a whole congregation uh, in, in a reciprocal type worship where everyone is singing together uh, one is leading in that but we're singing together. We're singing and we're teaching uh, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. Those passages remind us of, of what's taking place while we're doing that, that singing unto the Lord. And, uh, you know, those, each of those acts of worship, and, and it may even be the giving that we're talking about too, there again, it engages the heart of man. That's what, and God, whether it's been Old Testament worship or New Testament worship, has wanted the heart of man. And, uh, and, and so that the idea of worship itself comes from a place of the heart of man unto his creator. And I think when we talk about worship, that's, that's really where this, this idea begins. It's interesting. You talked about, you know, it's like a dog kissing its master. Mm -hmm. The way that the Apple Dictionary defines this term mm -hmm. is very off. <laughs> it is the worship of idols. That's what, it, that's what it's oh, wow. basically saying is a noun. It's the worship of idols. And you think about that definition and it immediately makes it seem like all worship is idolatrous worship. Right. That's not true. <laughs> and I, I think that you made a good point. I don't worship according to the Old Testament law. I have often wondered, though, if we understood Old Testament worship better, if we would appreciate the worship that we have today. Because, again, I don't have to go out and sacrifice. I don't have to go out and do the things that were done in the Old Testament to be pleasing to God. I don't right. have to go kill a lamb and spread its blood or any, none of that. The reason, though, that I've often wondered whether or not we truly understand worship and the way that it's intended is because since we've never had to do those things, have we taken for granted the worship that we have to do? We just have about, what, an hour and ten minutes maybe uh, on a Sunday morning for worship itself. We have Bible class as well, but total of, what, maybe four hours a week that we actually mm -hmm. assemble together and we worship the Lord. The Old Testament talks about, you know, moments where they would read scripture from morning until midday and that's that's several hours longer you know than the four <laughs> hours that we as right. assemble each week but I think I would classify worship in three ways and I'm going to primarily use the Old Testament because of this reasoning mm -hmm. number one it is an offering to my God right you know and you mentioned Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel they both bring an offering to God now that tells me then that worship can be done in the wrong way because like you mentioned both of them offered only one was accepted but Cain really believed that he was offering to the Lord and so it's an offering to my Lord that's what Genesis 4 3 through 4 talks about both bring forth a sacrifice but one gets the respect of the Lord over the other that leads me to the second thing which is it is a showing of how much I love or respect my Lord because you have Abel if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then Abel was told the right type of sacrifice or the right way to sacrifice, and he listened to it. Cain obviously was told the same thing. Otherwise, the Lord couldn't have hold, held him accountable for what he did. Right. But Cain chose not to listen to it. Whether that was the type of sacrifice or the way he sacrificed it, I don't know. But I do know both were given an opportunity to do that which was right. That's what God tells Cain. If you do well, won't you be accepted? Yep. 
And if you don't do well, well, sin lies at the door. It, you can't blame anyone else but you if you don't listen. So it's a showing of how much I love and respect my Lord. But then I think about Malachi 1. We're in that passage, beginning in about verse 6. You have a son honors his father, a servant his master. If I then, if then I am the father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And he's going to tell them, you offered defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Go ahead and offer it to your governor. See if he will accept it. That is almost like asking, you know, a waitress, I want to get the steak and potato and I want to have, you know, the corn on the side. And she brings you trash mm -hmm. and then looks at you. And when you look at her and say, well, what are you, what are you doing? She says, what? Isn't this acceptable? This is steak. I got it from the trash. This is corn. I got it from the trash. And this is a potato that I got from the trash. None of us would accept that. Right. But that is the exact type of worship that was going on then. They offered defiled items and tried to worship the Lord. In Habakkuk, or I'm sorry, Hosea, you have people fornicating in the shade and calling it worship. And so that's not a proper love and respect for God because like you mentioned, I have to do it in the right way. Like Cain and Abel, I've got to do it the way God has expected me to do it. But thirdly, it is a showing of how much I want to give back to my God. Right. When I look over at Malachi 3 and verse 8, God asks one of the most important questions that even though it's an Old Testament passage, I really think New Testament has so much implication with this verse too. It's, will a man rob God? Well, you've robbed me. Well, you say, in what way have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes and your offerings. Oftentimes when we assemble together, that collection plate time comes and so many people start scrambling in their purse or they scramble into their wallet. What, what, do, what do I happen to have resting in my wallet today? Okay, I've got $15, I'll throw that in. But when 2 Corinthians 9, 7 talks about purposing in your heart and, and you put forth an offering that you have determined to put forth, the only real offering that we actually, so to speak, lay out on the altar is giving. Now, I understand the rest of our worship is an offering to the Lord, but the actual physical part of us taking right. something out of our life, you know, the firstling of the flock, you take the best that you have to offer. You take that of your money. That's the best we have in our world today. Right. And God knew that that would be the case. This is why He set it up in the New Testament where He says, you start giving of your means because the monetary means we're going to take over from the livestock means. Back in Job's time, he was considered very wealthy, not just because he had riches, but because of his livestock, right. because of all that he had in the field. It's not that way today. We, we live in the USA. I don't have livestock sitting in my backyard. It's not big enough for them. You don't have livestock sitting in your right. backyard, unless they're deer that are just happen to be passing through, but they're not yours. They're not mine. Exactly. So we can't sit there and say, I'm going to go out and grab one of these and I'll offer them. It doesn't work that way anymore. So the first thing of my flock is my money. Right. And I have to offer it. But oftentimes, being honest, I think all of us could say there have come times in our lives where we've robbed God because we haven't given the best. We've been like Cain. And we're so fortunate that we haven't had to experience the same difficulty that Cain is facing after Genesis 4 where he is right. sent out because he kills his brother and then he's sent out from, the, from, the, from his family. So that's what worship is. It, to me, at least, it's a threefold process. Right. It is a offering to my Lord. It is a show of the love and respect that I have for Him and how much I'm willing to give back to Him. 
because he's given all to me. Right. That's what worship's about. Kiss toward. You kiss toward a master. The master provides a, and when we talk about servants and slavery, we need to understand biblical slavery was probably better termed a job, an occupation. When it's talked about in the nice way that the Bible talks about it, where you have a master, a boss, who has a servant that he employs, he gives food and shelter, and he, he treats well. Deuteronomy talks about a servant has an opportunity to pierce their ear and stay with their master after a seven-year period. Who would want to do that based on the understanding of slavery from 60 years ago, right. 100 years ago? Nobody would want to do it that way because our understanding of slavery is tainted. We're not talking about that in the Bible. We're talking about a master. Jesus is our master. God is our master. They have done so much for me. I want to give back to them. Right. But I think that brings me to another idea and another question. Oftentimes you have people that, as preachers, we see this. We're up there preaching, and you see the head nodding, and you see the people that are, maybe they're on their phone, and you think they could be in their Bible, and then you see a lot of rapid movement, and you know they're not <laughs> in their Bible. They're texting or playing a game or something. Right. Or you see just the person that's just kind of wandering around with their eye, and you start to ask, what am I doing wrong? Well, it's nothing that you're doing wrong, but then you ask these people, can, can we talk about this? One of the most common things that is said, I don't know how I can get more out of worship. So what would you do if someone asks you, how can I get more out of my worship? I would say, let's start with a good night's sleep. Right. The night before. Uh, I think that makes all the difference in the world, obviously. You know, we, uh, you know, I, I hear, you know, sometimes, and, and sometimes I'm up late as well, and I, and I can feel myself um, struggling, you know, in, in a way, or at least not as attentive as I might have been if I had a good night's rest. Right. It doesn't always work that way where we can, but, but try uh, to do just that. And, you know, as preachers, we joke around because we see people nodding off and things yeah. like that. And you think, hey, get some rest. But sometimes it's medicine. It's other things that are going on. And we may not be aware of all of those uh, things that might be causing somebody to nod off. But, yes, sometimes we see people that are distracted by other things. Uh, you know, some people some people uh, learn, and, and yet their, their hands have to be mm -hmm. uh, busy in a way. I, I know people that, you know, uh, used to, in taking... Um, you know, in sitting in college classes or whatever, and, and sometimes I'm kind of doodling just a moment, you know, and then when I hear something, I need to write it, and I'm, I'm writing it over here and everything, but on the side of my page, I'm, uh, you know, my pen's almost always moving. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doodling over here or something like that. Um, and, and maybe that's just a nervous tick that I have or something like that, but sometimes that just keeps people, you know, grounded a little bit, you know. This, is, this seems like they're distracted, but they may be hearing everything you're saying. And, um, and sometimes we've checked our, our, our children that way, you know, are you paying attention? And right. you, you turn around and you go, they didn't seem like they were paying attention. You know, they were running a little car across the, the back of the pew and you ask them what, what was the lesson about and they, they give you the topic and, you know, and, and he said this. And so you know that they were, mm -hmm. they were attentive in some way, you know. Uh, we can certainly do better and we need to strive to do better. I think about uh, preparing for worship though. You know, and, and, and what we've talked about already, you know, what is worship and, and the preparation for worship, though, you have to prepare yourself for that. To, to come in to worship haphazardly um, is, is to kind of set up, um, you're not going to give your best. You're not going to do your best. That, that last minute scrambling in the purse to try to give is not, is not your very best. Um, that, that um, you know, uh, last minute, um, you know, thinking about, uh, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. Oh, we're starting worship. Oh, he was in, you know, he's in prayer. Okay, I need to bow my head. You know, you're not attentive to those things. So preparing your mind and your heart 
to go into worship. And I, and I go back again to the Old Testament. Just uh, Again, I think if we understand some of that, you, and the point you made is, is great, but you remember in Exodus 19, uh, beginning in verse uh, 10, now this is, you know, they're, they're there before the mount, uh, Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. and uh, in Exodus 19, in chapter 20, he's going to give the law. Uh, but in chapter 19, uh, it says, uh, verse 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up against the mountain or into the mountain or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall uh, surely be stoned uh, and, or shot through, it says. And whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come to the mount. So there was, there was great preparation to, in mm-hmm. order for, to come in the presence of God. And, and when we consider that in our worship, you know, they're, they're, they, they were days out they were getting ready for this. And, right. and, and days out they were preparing their minds. They were preparing their hearts. They were, even, they were washing their clothes. They were, they were getting everything ready. Don't even touch the mount. Don't go up next to the mount. Don't get, you know, when you hear that long trumpet, then you come having been prepared for those other two days. On the third day, then that trumpet's going to sound and you're going to come. And that's when you'll, you'll hear the call to worship, so to speak. And there was great preparation that was in that. And, and that set the mind for that worship service. Right. Um, of course, the, the, the people found out they didn't want that. Moses, you, you go up and you talk to God. You, right. you, we can't handle this, you know. Right. Um, but we can. As New Testament Christians, we can come into a worship service and we can handle it because Jesus has made all things ready for us. And, and by His authority, we can come in and worship before God. And He's outlined for us what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. But we don't just take that haphazardly. We need to prepare ourselves for that worship. Um, we're not there for entertainment. We're there to pay homage, to, to honor, to, to pay adoration, to kiss up to, like we've stated, to the God of heaven, the Creator, to Jehovah Himself. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the go wash your clothes. I don't know whether or not you have a suit in your closet and whether or not you, if you, and if you don't, and the best that you have is a polo and khakis, I'm fine with that. Yeah. If the best that you have is literally a t-shirt and jeans, I'm fine with that. But I do see a trend happening in our world today where it's not really taking a lot of care for what we wear to worship. Now, I usually wear a suit on Sundays. I usually wear a button down and khakis on Wednesdays. That's just me. That, you know, it's a different setting, it's a different time, it's Wednesday night, it's not the first day of the week. I dress differently on the first day of the week for personal reasons. Right. And I, that's me giving my best to my Lord. And that's, this is the Sunday, we're worshiping on this day, I'm going to give everything that I've got in my, in my dress. Right. Wednesday is more of a laid back type of Bible class and, and a devotional hour. We call it worship too, but it's not the same as the Sunday worship because we're not going to be giving or taking of the Lord's Supper. However... The problem that we see in our world today, how can I get more out of worship? Like you hit on, maybe if we prepare properly. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a threefold way to prepare. Number one, you got to remember that God's the object of worship. Right. When you look at First Chronicles 16 and verse 23, it says, Sing to Michael, sing to Wayne, mm-hmm. sing to the congregation. 
It says, sing to the Lord. And it, then it tells you how many need to do this. All the earth yeah. proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. I have a responsibility to sing to the God of heaven, not to the God of this earth, not to the iPhone or to the Android or Samsung, none of that, to the God of heaven, the one who made this earth. That's who's worthy of my praise. He's the object of that worship. But then you have to remember, I can be no different than Cain. If Wednesday night I show up in shorts and a t-shirt and I know that that's not my best, how am I any different than Cain? Now, I think that Wednesday nights are a little bit more laid back and casual, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Tradition has set that in. Mm -hmm. But how would I be any different than Cain? And I also understand setting dictates what you wear. If you're at camp, I'm not going to suggest you go in a suit. You know, obviously, we, we, we would be dressed a little bit more casually than normal on a Sunday if you're at a Christian camp. Right. Even still, if I start to act like Cain did, well, God will accept this, because that had to be his mentality. He had to have known it wasn't what God wanted, but he said he'd give it to him anyway. Then I'm going to be in big trouble. But then finally, I want to look at Psalm 86. Psalm 86 and around verse number 9, I've got to remember that it's not about me. So much of our world today has focused on that mentality. It's all about me. It's all about me and what I want to do and how I think. But the psalmist says, David, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I am not the Lord. So why is it that our world, which is not God, is trying to dictate worship in the denominational world? I need to be entertained. I've got to have more of an entertaining setting. And I want, I want to give you the, the final question in, in just a moment. We're, we've touched on it already, the object of our worship. You know, what would you do if someone asks you what the object of worship is? But before we do that, I want to touch on this last thing here. <clears throat> if I am not God, I am not worthy of worship. Right. And if I am not God and worthy of worship, then I cannot dictate what worship should be. Well, I don't like that we have two songs, and that's tradition. If you start to say, I don't like that we have singing, you need to prove to me that you're the Lord, because that's the only way you're going to be able to change it. If I say, I don't like that we don't have sermons that last three hours, I've got to be able to prove that I'm the Lord. That's the only way I'm going to change it. Right. The Lord has said and set the terms for what worship is going to be. So as He is the object of our worship, how would you answer that to someone who's asking you, who is the object of our worship? Well, I think there again, uh, let's go back to John chapter 4 for just a moment. I mentioned it in the start of our conversation. Jesus is in Samaria and uh, it comes to this well, meets this, this woman of Samaria, uh, begins to have a conversation with her over the water, obviously, uh, and, and, and begins to talk about living water. Well, I want that water. I want that water that's not going to you know, run out. I, I want that kind of water. I don't want to have to come back to this well over right. and over and over. I want, I want that kind of water, you know. But he begins to talk about things that she's done in her past, and he is introducing himself to her uh, by, by way of, of, of the knowledge that he has of her, that miraculous knowledge. He, he knows her heart. He knows her actions, what she's been doing. And she begins to recognize then, this is no ordinary man. This, is, this, is, this must be the Messiah. Of course, she's going to run into town and, and, and tell those men, and uh, they're going to they're gonna start coming out. But, but in that conversation, 
because she had she said well you Jews you worship in Jerusalem our fathers we we worship up in this in this mountain you know and and, and you could see uh, the mountain and that and here's Jerusalem in the other direction so you're saying it's over here you're saying it's over here and uh, you know and, and so so what is it he and he says you worship you know not what you know we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews that was the advantage that the Jews have Paul would talk about that in Romans chapter 3 but he says but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father that's the ob he's the object of our worship. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so that that again, it's it's being dictated. Okay, the, with the, the the right type of attitude, the right frame of mind, that preparation ahead of worship has everything to do with how we come together then to worship. That in the right spirit and in truth. That is according to truth, according to His Word. And so He says, the Father seeketh such. And, and you know, uh, that, that's always intrigued me because here is the Creator. He, he has created us. And, and the very idea that He is seeking for such to worship Him. He's wanting His creation to worship Him. Now, I don't think that's too much to ask. Mm -hmm. But I think it is intriguing from the standpoint of He's the Creator. He doesn't need worship, but yet He's seeking it from His creation. And to me, that's, a, that, that's just intriguing to think about, that that's what He wants from us. Right. And then He goes on, He says, God is a spirit, God, a spirit, they that worship Him, and here's an important part of this verse, yeah. must worship Him, Him, in spirit and in truth. And there again, uh, the definition given by Apple uh, is is fallacious in the way that it's 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 the worship of, of anything. No, it's it's not. It's worshiping Jehovah. It's worshiping the Creator. Right. We find those in Romans chapter one who would no longer worship the Creator, but begin to worship the, the creation. Mm -hmm. They worship themselves more than the Creator. Um, and, and so we see here this this conversation that's taking place. God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. He's dictated then coming together with the right attitude, with the right frame of mind, with the right intent and purpose in so doing. And there again, if, if I'm seeking uh, something from you and, and I've told you, Michael, this is, this is what I want mm -hmm. from you, then and, and you come and you bring something else, I'm going to go, what is this? What is this you're, 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 you're trying to give me? That's not, what, that's not what we agreed upon. That's not what we talked about. That's not what I was looking for from you. Uh, I'm going to be let down in that way. I don't want to let my Creator down. I, I don't want to let Jehovah down. I, I want to worship Him the way that he is, he is dictated for us to worship. And I want to come, with him, come to Him and to, to kiss up toward Him with the right type of attitude. That, that's one that... That means I have to humble myself. I have to come in humility. And, you know, sometimes it takes us maybe a couple of days to prepare. You think about they, they had two days to get all things ready. And then on the third day, anticipating what it was going to be like when he came down from that mountain. Mm -hmm. And we would, we would have the opportunity to worship him. If we showed up at worship 
every Lord's Day with that type of frame of mind? How, how, would, that be? how would that change our worship? And our singing would be, uh, we, we'd all be singing. We're not worried about singing necessarily on key, but we're going to be singing our very best. We're going to be offering our very best. We're, we're, we're going to be giving, we're going to give everything that we have. We, we know that He's going to be there. He's going to be coming down from the mountain. And if I would approach, approach worship in that way, with that right attitude, and then obviously in truth, that, that dictates, that gives that command, here's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's laid out for us in the New Covenant. And so if, if I would approach God in that way, our worship, we're going to get so much out of it. And again, it's not necessarily about us. But we would get something out of that. Yeah, Psalm 99.3, Let them praise your great and awesome name, yeah. for He is holy. Yeah. That's exactly what it's all about. God is deserving of that because there's no other being in this earth or in this universe that is holy. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know Redeemer lives.